Before I get into the message this morning, I want to spend some time praying and also just pass on. We had a request this week uh, from a gentleman who has um, just been undergoing cancer treatments and is needing to move into a place uh, nearby where one of our members from our church also lives and uh, is not able to lift. He doesn't have a lot of stuff to move, but would like to move some stuff this week. So if you have a couple hours in an evening that you could help out, uh, we'd love to know about that, and uh, we could follow up on that request. And also just a reminder that we have a prayer chain at our church, and you can go on, on the website, type in prayer chain or prayer, and you will get access to that, and you can sign up to be a part of that. And I know Heather's father, for example, uh, has been undergoing well, several operations uh, this week, and we have been praying for him, and it's a, a way that you can help stay connected as well in that. So let's pray together this morning. Lord, we have sung that you are worthy of all of our praise. The psalmist speaks of the heavens declaring your glory and longing for that day when all the nations, Lord, will see you for who you really are and will also confess that you indeed are worthy of all glory and honor and majesty and power and strength forever and ever. Lord, you are the great king of all the universe, and yet you also, your son, Lord Jesus Christ, taught us to pray our Father, the most intimate of relationships, and to come to you as your children, seeking your help, your wisdom, your dad's strength, and God, we, we come to you this morning, and we want to lift up uh, Heather, Heather Ashley's father. Lord, we pray that you would watch over him. Lord, we pray for health and healing in his life. Lord, both physically and spiritually. Lord, often we think that we are, uh, can run our lives ourselves, and then we come into situations and experience when we realize how desperately we need you. And we thank you that you are the one who, who made us so that we would be dependent upon you so that we would know that you are indeed a loving father. Lord, we also live in a world in which um, that is torn so often by conflict, by violence, by poverty and distress. Lord, in the midst of the world, there is also much goodness. And Lord, uh, we pray for those who are experiencing distress, whether it be in the conflict in Ukraine, whether it be in, in famines in several countries in Africa, Lord, we pray for those who are on the front lines of seeking to provide needs that seem overwhelming. Lord, we pray that we would be able to be a part of that, even whether it's collecting school kits for refugee children uh, in different parts of the world. Lord, uh, or whether it's helping a neighbor who, uh, who is ill and needs help. Lord, may all of these things be done in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, if you've ever owned a dog or know people who do, then you'll know that no dogs come into the world pre-trained. Hmm. <laughs> 
Many of them, oh, they may be adorable as puppies, but, you know, if they are left to their own natural instincts, even the cutest ones will soon be leaving, uh, you know, a path of destruction in their wake. Growing up on a farm in Manitoba, we decided we wanted a more unique pet. So one day my dad brought home a baby raccoon. Yeah, we affectionately named him Ralph. Ralph the raccoon, he was delightful, but as we, he grew up, we also discovered that he could be something else too. One day we came home from a family outing to find our front door open and our kitchen looking like the garbage had exploded in the kitchen. Well, at first we suspected, you know, it might be our dog to blame and somebody, you know, the last one out hadn't closed the door properly. But then we found Ralph working his way through another room. And when this happened a second time, days later, we discovered why raccoons are born with a mask. Yes, they are natural-born burglars with an uncanny ability to get into places that other animals can't. We discovered Ralph... He could just hop up on the door, turn the handle, and he was in as fast as any of us could get in. We were on the farm. We never used to lock the door. After we had Ralph, we had to lock the door to keep the raccoon out. Now, we learned that taming a wild animal like a raccoon was more challenging, and his destructive powers were more formidable than we realized. Well, in the third chapter of his letter to his fellow believers scattered among the nations, The New Testament writer of James talks about how all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But there is one, he said, that no human being can tame. And which, when left to its own natural instincts, can cause more destruction than a B.C. forest fire. The wild, untamable beast that James has in mind is the human mouth or tongue. Well, turn to James chapter 3 with me. We'll get to that in a moment. You know, back earlier in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, James, he talked about the weakness of mere words. You know, we have a saying too, right? Talk is cheap. To religious people who are all talk and no action, who use pious-sounding cliches but won't lift a finger to help a brother or sister in need, James is blunt and very clear. Faith, he says, by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. These words are intended as a wake-up call to those who self-identify as Christian but aren't practicing Christians. Remember... uh, coming across a question in a study a number of years ago, and the question was, if you were convicted for being a Christian, would there be enough, or arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And James would say, when it comes to how you use your mouth. Well, in chapter 3, James addresses the opposite problem with words, not their weakness, but their potential for great power. Now, as kids, many of us were taught a rhyme that was supposed to help fend off a verbal assault. You may remember it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's memorable. It isn't true. 
You know, words can hurt and wound deeply. Uh, This week in my reading in Psalm uh, 64, Psalm 64 struck me, verses 2 and 3. First he says, hide me from the conspiracy of the wicked, from the plots of evildoers. And then he gets to how they are assaulting him. They sharpen their tongues like swords and aim cruel words like deadly arrows. Well, James, he actually flagged this area of ethical speech earlier in chapter 1 when he said, those who consider themselves religious but do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Well, in chapter 3, he addresses now speech ethics in more depth, focusing especially on those whose main tool of the trade is their speech. Let's read James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Well, as a wise teacher, James knows how important and powerful words can be for good or evil. So he returns to this topic to expand our understanding and our application of it. And as a keen student of life, James 
has a gift, a spirit-inspired insight that enables him to take God's moral lever and, uh, and put it precisely into those areas of our lives that we need God's power to change. So what practical wisdom does James have for us when it comes to improving our word power? Well, the first thing James does is he issues a big warning. Danger ahead, he says, to his uh, target group, who are those who are teachers and those that wish they were. For with greater influence comes greater responsibility and accountability. You see, teachers are called to live by and to model the standards that they themselves tell others to live up to. You know, practice what you preach. Hmm. Well, why, we might wonder, did James, you know, feel the need to pass on this particular warning? Well, many people, it seems, wanted to become teachers in the church because it was considered an important and honorable profession. They were drawn to it for how it would benefit themselves more than how it would benefit others. You know, for the influence, the status, even the income that it would bring, rather than how it would benefit others, a service to God and to others. And James tells them they need to be aware both of, A, the level of accountability God requires of teachers, and B, how notoriously difficult it is to control our speech. Some would say it is the most difficult thing to control. And James says we all stumble in many ways, right? So who, anyone who is never at fault in what they say, if they could master that, they would be perfect. Able to keep the rest of their body in check, because that's the most difficult. Now I wonder, when is the last time you met someone who is never at fault in what they say? You know, they always speak the truth, never fly off the handle, never spoke a hurtful word. Get anybody living in your household or in your circle? You know, now maybe make it a little more personal, okay? Then how long or short has it been since you said something you regret or that you should regret? And your family will help you on that one if you need help, you know, or your friends. Uh, it probably not as long. I know for myself it's not as long as I wish it was. Now, since we tend to think that little things are weak and insignificant, one could easily assume that, you know, being such a small part of the body, the mouth, the tongue, you know, it would be relatively easy to control. You know, we say sometimes, control your tongue, we say to children, as if that's re really easy. But looks can be deceiving, right? For there are several small things in life that are incredibly powerful and influential. And James, he names some of them from everyday life in a world, by the way, where horsepower literally meant the power of a horse, not an engine. And James uses several illustrations of little things that make a big difference. A small bit you know, in the mouth of the horse, is able to control a big, powerful horse. On the farm, the cattle farm, it was a, a halter, and we had to, you know, we could control, uh, you know, a one-ton animal with that halter if you, if you used it right. 
Or he says a, a very small rudder, and as relatively speaking, is used to control a large ship, even when it is driven by powerful winds. Likewise, he says, the tongue is a, is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. You know, especially during election campaigns, right? Uh, and during sporting events, I've noticed, and, and a variety of other times. And he says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. We know about that in our province, don't we? The tongue also, he says, is a world of as a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I wondered about that, and then this week in the news, I came across the story of Alex Jones. Perhaps you saw that as well. For years, Jones used his his big media platform to spread lies about the second deadliest school shooting in American history. He repeatedly called it a hoax. He claimed children weren't killed and called parents crisis actors in an elaborate ruse to force gun control. And this week, his fiery words caught up with him in a Texas court when a jury ordered him to pay over $4 million in compensation to the parents of one of those 26 victims who had been targeted. And when I heard about the destructive impact of Jones's words for over a decade, I thought to myself, James wasn't exaggerating when he called the untamed tongue a restless evil full of deadly poison. In fact, I would venture to guess every person here today, or, or those, and including those listening online, had been wounded by the words of someone in their past. The wound, it, it may not be visible to others, but it has left an indelible mark on the inside. We need to make sure, James says, that we do not wound and even kill others with our words. Of course, the tongue is not always destructive. It also holds the power to do great good. In fact, the greatest good of any living thing. Which is amazing. For James says in verse 9, We human beings have the ability to praise our Lord and Father. Our, heart, our words of heartfelt praise have the ability and power to bless God in ways that no other created thing or being can do. We sang the song this morning, Revelation song, and it's reminded, you know, in the book of Revelation, this glorious scene of, you know, all of the elders, the 12 elders representing all the 12 tribes of Israel, and then the, you know, the other 12 probably representing, you know, the disciples who have brought in, helped bring in the nations. And so here is all of creation gathering to praise our God and our Savior. It is, is the high watermark of the book of Revelation. And that is what the tongue is capable of doing. One of the most glorious things. But the problem is that the power of the tongue is so unpredictable. A proverbial loose cannon, 
One minute, it is doing God work, the greatest God work of all. And the next moment, it's doing devil work. Like that, he says, of cursing people who James adds have been made in God's likeness or in his image. Now, one might think that the opposite of praising God would be cursing God, right? But I think James is, he's talking to Jewish Christians, and so he can safely assume, I think, that only a pagan would dare curse God. Not even a lapsed Jew. But if you think cursing people made in God's image is no big deal, James says, don't kid yourself. It grieves God to have those who are made in his image, his likeness, verbally attacked and demeaned. See, in the ancient world, when a temple was built, the pagans put in an idol. It was a representative, a likeness, an image of the God. And in the creation account, many have come to see that actually the world is God's temple, and we human beings are living icons. We are living likenesses of God. He himself puts us in his temple in creation to serve him. And so to, to curse our fellow human beings made in his likeness, uh, one of the writers, uh, commentators, Peter David, said, to bless or thank God and then turn around and curse his likeness is like praising a king to his face and then smashing off the head of his statue as one leaves the palace. At best, it is inconsistent. More likely, it is a symptom of uncontrolled, unrepentant evil lurking within that person that does not dare show toward God, show that toward God, but vents itself on others. See, earlier in chapter 1, James warned us of the dangers. He called it of being double-minded. You know, in terms of prayer, of hedging our bets. I used the illustration at that point of when I launched a canoe years ago, and you got one foot on the dock, and you got one foot in the canoe, and you've got to decide really quick where you're going to. You can't hedge your bets too long on that one. Now, being double-minded, James said, is trying to live and think in two directions at once. A foot in the kingdom of God and a foot in the world. And the way we use our tongues, he says, for praising one minute and cursing the next is a sign of how deeply divided our hearts are and how unpredictable we can be. And James, he turns to the natural world again. He's a master of metaphor. To any illustrates his point to show how wrong such a state of affairs is. This unpredictability, this praising God one minute and cursing the next. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now, there's a very basic and important principle at work in the world. A product is always consistent with its source. Now, I remember a number of years ago, we, like many of you, probably had a problem with chafer beetle, and then the birds would come, and it would just ransack our front lawn, and we decided, okay, we are going to lose this battle against them. We're going to 
you know, put it in a planter area, and we're going to put some flowering bushes in there. So they weren't doing very well because it was such shallow, rocky soil. And yet one day I remember coming home, and there was these beautiful pink blossoms on our kind of ugly little bushes. I thought, I've got to look at this more closely. And I went to observe them more closely, and I noticed they looked exactly like our neighbor's camellia bush, which was healthy and robust. And I realized, hmm, somebody has taken those blossoms that have fallen off the tree and put them on our little bushes here. That was Elaine. That was a master handiwork there. <laughs> you know, but I should have known before I even went up for the closer inspection that a product is always consistent with its source. Our ugly little bushes and shallow soil couldn't produce something like that. And, fre- and James says, fresh water is never going to flow from a salt spring. A fig tree will never bear olives. A grapevine will never bear figs. And only a camellia bush, he might add, produces camellia flowers, right? It's the same when it comes to the tongue. It really is, he says. What comes out of our mouths is the fruit, or as Jesus said, the overflow of our hearts. You see, James is always totally in sync with Jesus on this matter. Surface changes, they're possible for a while, like Elaine's handiwork with the camellia flowers, right? But long-term results, that requires substantive changes in our hearts. Something we need to ask Jesus to change in us. As uh, Sam Albury says in his book, our tongues need to be set alight, not from below by hell, but from above by God himself through his spirit. What is impossible for us on our own is gloriously possible for God. Which is why in verses 13 to 18, James directs our attention to the source of applied wisdom. You see, wisdom in Hebrew thought, I remember word study on this years ago. It was quite fascinating. In Hebrew, it was the word used for a craftsman, craftsmanship. You know, somebody who has become an expert in that area, in an area of life. And so wisdom is applied knowledge, right? So that one becomes, to become a craftsman though with our words in terms of not, you know, having, causing destruction when we're trying to do something good. But where can we find and how can we gain the wisdom, the expertise that we need to achieve healthy, wholesome, life-giving speech? Well, there are two kinds of wisdom, James says, and they are wildly different because the source of one is divine and the source of the other is demonic. Yes, I said that, demonic. We don't often use such stark language for the wisdom of the world, do we? That's a little off, maybe. Oh, there's something. No. He says demonic. But like Adam and Eve who listened to the serpent in the garden, we tend to think we're smart enough to determine for ourselves the truth and come up with our own solution to life's problems. In the modern world, we especially, we love technology and using technology for solutions to problems that will help us avoid having to change our ways. Uh, 
I remember a Herman cartoon years ago, and Herman was in the doctor's office, and Herman had one, he said, doctor, it hurts whenever I do this. And what he did is he took his one leg, I cannot do this, and he put it right up beside his head like this, you know, and probably would say, stop doing it. Instead, today we just write a prescription for pain. Uh, Author, uh, Dr. Paul Brandt, he worked for years, uh, groundbreaking research in leprosy because he worked with people in India who had leprosy. And he was the one who discovered the problem of leprosy is that they've lost all pain sensors. And so, you know, if it's doing damage, they never even felt it. And so it would do damage and then gangrene and other things would set in. And then he, kind of when he retired, he, he came back to the U.S. for a while and he said, any Physician working in modern civilization can help, not help noticing our Western culture's deafness to the wisdom of the body. We silence pain when we should be straining our ears to hear it. Not meaning that there's times when we shouldn't use pain medication, but most of the time we don't really get it. The, the source of that, we just want the pain to stop. And so he says, we eat too fast and too much and we take a seltzer you know, or a Tums. We work too long and too hard and take a tranquilizer. In Western countries, he said, an astounding proportion of health problems stem from behavior choices, choices that show disregard for the body's clear pain signals, telling us, don't do that. Stop doing that. You see, we cannot gain true wisdom for human flourishing without turning to God for it. And since this source of wisdom is divine, we need to be those who ask God for it in prayer. Remember James said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. We need God's perspective on our lives and on our world, which means, for example, we need to stop celebrating human pride. Pride in our sexuality, pride in our technology, pride in our achievements. Instead, we need to place a premium on humility. For only the wisdom from above, James says, will produce the fruit of righteousness, rather than the fruit of division, disorder, and every evil practice. Well, a few implications and applications. Uh, the first is we need to pray for and pursue God-honoring speech. You know, James 1.5 played a big, huge role when I was a teenager, when I first came to faith. Somehow that verse, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. I remember praying that for months, just feeling this desperate need for God's wisdom. It's just desperate for it. And then also... I had some anger issues, and I remember we learned in the youth group uh, Ephesians 4.29 to a kind of a song, rappy type of song, if you will. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification. And then it, it went on, according to the need of the moment round about you, that it may give grace to those who hear. I needed that to keep putting a rain on my words. I needed that, that verse, and then it would come to mind, and then I would sing it along, and if it was anger, it would, you know, they say, stop, count to ten, sing the song, 
get that verse. Let that work its way into your heart. And, and you need to pray for and pursue God-honoring speech. And that means, too, uh, practice restraint. You know, with the help of Scripture, or I've heard duct tape also works, but it's got some, you know, side effects. Proverbs 21 verse 23 says, Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity, from disaster. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 17, 28 says, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, and discerning if they hold their tongue. Oh, I remembered that one a lot. I had to use practice that one. Restraint. Well, and thirdly, pursue. Pursue truthful, wholesome speech. There's a song that says, they will know we are Christians by our love. I think James says, well, but I hope they also know we are Christians by our words, by our speech. Not just mere words, but how we use our words. The lips of the righteous nourish many, says Proverbs 10. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. That one's important. I remember uh, hearing something when, uh, when uh, people are doing, asking for a reference, and they notice that if they ask, you know, Christians, pastors, they don't always get a very honest reference about someone, you know, that they know. And I thought, that's not right, is it? We want to say something nice about that, but that doesn't mean we don't also try to tell the truth. Right? Words of encouragement, absolutely, those are important. And I think all of us have probably been deeply impacted by words also of encouragement in someone in our life. Right? But also words of correction. As James does. James doesn't just... He, he tells it like it is. But I'm reminded of the African proverb which says, when you shoot an arrow of truth, dip its point in honey. James will keep using, for example, language. He will say challenging things, but he will say, dear brothers and sisters. Not, you bunch of hypocrites. He dips the truth in honey. That is because he wants to know this is for constructive. I was out fishing this week. I've been casting. I found out this week I've been casting the wrong way for almost two years. Wow. I, you know, I was trying to get to the spot and I couldn't do it. I couldn't get there. And we're around lots of people. I had to, you know, and finally my friend Phil said, oh, you know, you're not casting the right way. This is how you need to do it. And so I started to practice. I said, this is a lot easier. <laughs> you know, correction, right, is for our good. At first I thought, this is going to be impossible to break my old habits. It's hard to break the old habits, but it's for constructive purposes. And God wants it to be the same for us. I'm going to invite the uh, worship team, and as they're coming up, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you, Lord Jesus, I think about how your words healed and helped so many. 
Lord, you also spoke truth that people did not want to hear. And some of them eventually decided to put you on the cross for it. But you did it all because you know that there is a a way that leads to life. And it only comes by following you. And so, Lord, we, we pray that you... Lord, would be the one who would put that bit and bridle in our mouth, who would, help, who would help to control the speech that we use. Lord, and we need your help, but we also know the glorious possibilities that you have given for us. In fact, you have said that one of the, the greatest things that we can do is to use our mouths to praise you, and Lord, we are about to do that. Lord, help us to experience the glory and goodness of that, that we might desire to do that more and more. Amen. Just a couple of uh, items before you go. One is just a reminder that uh, we have a prayer team available to pray with you after the service. And so if you'd like to do that, we encourage you to do that just up on the front corner on your right. There'll be some people available uh, to pray with you. And also, if you could uh, take your uh, communion cups and stuff uh, with you on the way out and, uh, and put them in the garbage can, that would be great. We'd appreciate that. And also on the Sunday, Communion Sundays, we take a, a second offering. That is for our Elder Care Fund. And the Elder Care Fund is used whether sometimes it's helping uh, pay some rent, sometimes it's help for some moving expenses, uh, and etc. And so if you'd like to make a contribution for that, you can just put it in an envelope and mark it Elders Fund and uh, drop it in the offering. And the offering uh, ba- box is uh, just on your way out Right where Bruce is, pointing to it, that's where it is. That's where you can put it on your, on your way out. I want to leave you with a benediction. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us and in our mouths what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.